0: We had the same gospel passage on the feast of the Immaculate Conception just a, a few uh, two weeks ago or so, and uh, during that time, I purposely reserved uh, discussing this passage a little bit more and instead, what, uh, why we can look in the, at this passage and see the effects of the Immaculate Conception, uh, if. Um, First, I I do want to point out we are in the Gospel of Luke this weekend, mainly because the Church in her wisdom wants us to start to turn our minds towards remembering the birth of Jesus, how that birth came about. And the Gospel of Mark, which we are in, typically in Cycle B, does not contain a nativity story. In fact, the Gospel of St. John does not either. St. John instead goes to a soaring theology. We'll hear that on Christmas Day at the the, uh, 1030 Mass. That gospel passage of, in the beginning was a word, and word was with God. Only the Gospel of Matthew and Gospel of Luke give us uh, any details, Matthew and Luke. And I personally deeply appreciate the Gospel of St. Luke. St. Luke, at the beginning of his gospel, tells uh, Theophilus, the most likely the patron of the gospel, the one who, who gave him the money to buy the supplies, perhaps, some have suggested otherwise, uh, that he has interviewed the eyewitnesses and written down an ordered account so that we may have certainty in the faith. If that's true, and there's not any reason to doubt that's true, I cannot help but think of of St. Luke sitting down with the Blessed Mother and the Blessed Mother just sharing the ponderings of her heart. After all, St. Luke tells us time and again, and even here we have it once, she pondered what sort of greeting this might be. Or as we gather on Christmas uh, uh, at the Midnight Mass and the Mass of the day, she ponders what this, is, what this is going to mean. Or when they find him in the temple, she ponders. And so the Gospel of Luke seems to be, uh, Luke's pondering with her what this all means. And it begins, the, the first mention we have of the Blessed Mother in St. Luke's Gospel is what we have today. It begins with this annunciation that she is going to conceive and bear a son. But it starts with a greeting, Hail, full of grace. The Lord is with you. And that word, full of grace, in, in Greek it means having been completely filled with grace. It's a, it's a done act. Even though, technically speaking, one could make the case that grace had not entered the world yet because grace comes from the death and resurrection of Christ, that because of original sin, all grace had been lost. But as we shared and and remember at the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, that God the Father, because he is outside time, applied the grace to be won by Christ, Christ on the cross to the Blessed Mother, But the Blessed Mother being so filled with grace was also filled with humility and didn't ponder maybe how filled with grace she really was. See, that's the irony of of grace and humility. As soon as you think you have so much grace, you don't have humility and grace seems to go with it. But the Blessed Mother being humble, what does this mean, full of grace? What does this mean that the Lord is with me? And the angel reminds her that she has found favor with God. Already has found favor with God. Even before she said anything, she's found favor with God. And the angel lays out God's plan that she's conceived and bear a son and name him Jesus. He will be the Holy One. We, we hear this, that he will sit in the line of David, the throne of David, his father, and his kingdom will have no end. But Mary asked the question, and, and for us, we might ponder, well, why does she ask that question? how how can this be since I have no relations with a man? Or uh, one translation goes, how can this be since I do not know man? And those that are paying attention know that Luke has already told us she's betrothed to Joseph. Well, wait a minute here. There's something here for us to reflect on. In the days of Jesus, when a couple was betrothed, they were legally married already, but not consummated. That marriage would not be consummated until the, the uh, bridegroom had gone and prepared a house. He would come back to the father of the bride, and, and then the wedding party would begin. And then he would take his bride into his home, and then not only were they legally married, but they would consummate that marriage. While they're legally married, they've not consummated... Well, in... Mary and Joseph never did consummate their marriage, but uh, we'll leave that for now. But she's asking the question, well, how can this be? And we might say, well, wait a minute, you're about to get married. Unless we know a little bit more, and and we do know a little bit more, that there is a tradition that the blessed mother from a very early age committed her life to a life of virginity. And so she's not just asking, how can this be? What are the mechanics of it? But she's asking, how can it be that I can keep my vow to God, that God would allow me to honor that vow to remain a virgin? And how can that be that I'm both virgin and mother? How can it be that I can remain faithful to my vow and respond to God's will to be a mother. I should clarify, it's not atypical. There, there were um, there was some historical precedents that we even can find to this day of women at that time making a vow of virginity. And because of the status of the time, they would be given to a custodian they would be legally married, married, but never consummate that marriage. And there were certain rules that if, if the, the, the woman um, found herself wanting to be released from that vow, she could. And then they could consummate the marriage and be legally and, and everything that marriage entails. Or there on the other side, if a man forced himself on a woman who had made a commitment to a vow of virginity, there were punishments for him that were specified up to, if I remember right, and including death. That's pretty serious. So it's not unusual that Joseph would have been betrothed to Mary. That's not... She's asking, how can this be? And the the angel responds, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And so often we might miss what those are, unless we have uh, Old Testament ears. In the Old Testament, we hear the Ark of the Covenant, how God's power came upon that Ark and, and the power of the Most High overshadowed that Ark of the Covenant. Before the Babylonian, Babylonian exile, the, the overshadowing of the Lord disappeared. The prophet Jeremiah prophesied that the time would come when the power of the Lord would be seen again overshadowing the Ark. Well, Mary is the Ark of the New Covenant. That seems to be what the angel is implying here. That the power of the Most High will overshadow her. And she becomes much more than a symbol of the Ark of the Covenant. She becomes the new Ark. If you remember, the Ark of the Covenant contained the tablets of the law. Well, in her womb, she contains the lawgiver. And the Ark of the Covenant contained the rod of Aaron, which displayed God's power in her womb. She bears the power of God, Jesus Christ. And in the Ark of the Covenant, there was a jar of manna, how God provided for his people. In her womb, she carries what will become the bread of life that nourishes and provides for us yet. She is the Ark of the New Covenant. With all of this, she, she's given a sign, your kinswoman will be is, is pregnant. She's conceived a son in her old age, she who is thought to be called barren. And Mary accepts it. In fact, uh, we have, uh, it's, it's when you read it in the, in the, the Greek, I, I can't even get, get at how beautiful her response is, because it is so beautiful. Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. She knows her role is to follow the Lord and to do what he wants. Let it be done to me according to your word. And this sounds rather passive. And and unfortunately, it's hard to translate. And just a little English or language lesson. In English, and most languages, we have two voices. I'm not talking about the voice that we use to speak with, but voice. We have active voice and passive voice. Active voice is we do something, something uh, somebody does something or, or you do something. Or we have passive voice, something is done to me, something is done to you, or something is done to them. So I threw the ball or the ball was thrown to me as active and passive respectively. In Greek though, there's another voice and it's literally called the middle voice. And it's Somebody is going to do something, but the other person is going to cooperate in that doing. So it's not a passive thing. It's really active, but it's not an active thing because somebody else is doing the majority of the work. Here, the Blessed Mother is using that middle voice. She's saying, I know you need to do the work, Lord, and I will cooperate with that work. Let it be done to me according to your word. And it's a beautiful thing for for us to reflect on and to ponder on, especially during this Advent season. Because in responding, she says, I give you my trust. I trust you to do what you've said to do. And I will cooperate with you in that work that you want me to do. It's an act of complete trust. I think in our own lives, in our spiritual lives, that response that the Blessed Mother gives to all that God asks of her is a model for us. So often we might be tempted to to think responding to God's will is a passive thing. Okay, God, do what you want to do. Or sometimes we think that we have to work for it. Sometimes uh, we, we delude ourselves to think salvation is about a matter of works. It's not. It's a matter of cooperating with God's will. And it is that middle voice. When we get to that point, when we say, God, you must do the work, but I will cooperate with the work you want to do in me. That's when we display trust. And that's when salvation begins for us. So often, we might play the game. And even this year, there's certainly enough of us, or enough reason to play the victim game. That we're just the victim of circumstance. You know, this virus has a lockdown and we have to do this, we have to do that. And, and uh, 50% capacity or we can't, uh, some of the rules don't make sense, I, I will admit. But, uh, you know, all those things to, to keep safe, we become victims, 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 victims. When we really trust God, we don't become victims, but we come, become cooperators. We're not victims of circumstance. We're cooperators in whatever it is that God is doing. And it can't be as confusing as it would be for the Blessed Mother, somebody who committed herself to a life of virginity and yet is told, you're going to bear a son. Do we have the faith to respond like she did let it be done to me according to your word? St. Augustine said it once, and it's a paraphrase, because I don't have the exact translation, but he said, we must work as if all things relied on us and pray knowing that they do not rely on us. I think that's what the Blessed Mother's response helps us to understand more fully. Yes, Lord, I will cooperate with your will. You must do what you want to do in my life, but I will cooperate with it to the fullness of my ability. I will trust you even when it's difficult, even when I don't fully understand, I will give you my heart. Let it be done to me.